A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA. Welcome to my Locavore Podcast. I'm Ros White and this is the podcast where we dig deep into the stories behind the hundreds of locally sourced, artisan, bespoke and innovative products available to you in one location at White's IGA on the Sunshine Coast. Our Locavore program was officially launched in 2013 to showcase and highlight to our customers where their food and goodies come from and help connect them to the families who create it. Life-changing Accessibility for people of all abilities. A wonderful shopping experience. Making it possible for people who normally don't venture out into the community and instantly making them feel at ease. An amazing friend to have. These are just some of the numerous heartwarming and positively impactful statements made by people who know and use Surge. So who is Surge? And what does he do? Well, I have the founder here with me, one of the co-founders, Chris Kerris, here as my guest today to tell us all about that. So welcome to the Locable Podcast, Chris. Good morning, Ros, and thanks for having me on today. Very excited to be here. We are too. Great to see you. Chris, what is Surge? Surge is a companion app for people with disability, parents, carers or support workers to find accessible venues, but more importantly, to be assured of an inclusive experience when they arrive at that venue, like at a White's IGA. So how does it work? So it's a, it's a, it's a disability app. So what does that mean in real terms for somebody that might say, hmm, a disability app that can help allow me to have an inclusive experience? Talk me through what that means sure. in real terms. So what it, what it means in real terms is that there's a large number of people in our community that have social barriers to community participation and independence. And that fear and anxiety, that social barrier is because of past traumas or experiences of how they've been treated by other people. And so Surge is trying to reduce the stigma of disability, increase awareness and inclusion for all people. And we do that by the individual who is using the app. You don't have to have a disability to use the Surge app, but it's a very valuable tool for this community to be able to share essential information at the push of a button. So by downloading the app free of charge from either of the app stores, putting in the profile of what they like, what they don't like, the sort of things that they would have to always say to a service staff member to get inclusive experience. So for example, there's a number of people that have with sensory disability where a, a typically say, for example, a grocer, where there are potentially bright lights, loud noises, lots of people, that environment can be intimidating for some. Yeah, Having to actually tell service staff members that that creates a fear and anxiety for you is not something that a lot of people are comfortable with disclosing and walking up to a service staff manager and saying, hey, can you turn down the lights? Can you stop using making the loud noise, the PA speaker system? Because that's, that's a sensory overload for me. And that sensory overload means that I've got a social barrier to going and doing something like grocery shopping, which we all take for granted. Yeah. And so therefore they would tend not to visit and they Correct. wouldn't enjoy the experience. 
That's right. So the so that having to always advocate for yourself for that environment to ask for that particular assistance, that's what Surge as your digital concierge as a companion app is designed to do to do it discreetly so that the individual from whether they're at home on their way to visit a white side GA or they're in the car or they've just arrived in the car park to press a single button from the app to send that essential information through to one of your team inside one of your stores to say, hey, I'm outside or I'm on my way. Can you please help me with some specific items from the high shelf? Or maybe if it's possible to dim the lights for me because that's an overlight situation. But to do that discreetly and for that information to go through to one of your reception, sorry, point of sale or your mobile phone. So you're the right person in your service team can actually deliver that inclusive experience and have the confidence they know exactly how to look after that customer. Yeah, look, that's right, Chris. I think, and that's the unique difference, isn't it? Because there's some grocery stores and outlets and other retail stores that have adopt a quiet hour, which is a designated one hour period generally on a certain day at a certain time. And then if people have some of these social barriers, then they can go and experience or do their shopping then. However, what Surge is able to provide, it empowers users to be able to visit a store with the Surge that participates with the Surge program, such as one of our stores, of course, at a time that suits them not necessarily the time that suits the store. So it empowers them with more choice and independence, doesn't it? Which is a beautiful part, I think, and such a valuable part of what Surge provides is that it allows users to be able to visit the store at their own convenience. But like you said, there's it's a very discreet way. It's just a communication, isn't it? A connection between the user and the store or the store team in a very discreet way that really doesn't inhibit or make any big announcements to anyone. It's just allows that person to come in and have a, have a better shopping experience, doesn't it? The thing that I've thoroughly enjoyed with working with White's IGA and having you adopt Surge so early on and being a champion of what we do, Ros, so clearly thank you for all of your support. One of the things that we've thoroughly enjoyed is the experience from also your service team's perspective. Yeah. So some of the feedback that we get from your teams that use Surge and to help with the customer service experience, the confidence that your team have and the the thrill and the joy that they get from knowing exactly how to look after their customer. Yes. I've, I've been very surprised and obviously delightedly surprised by that. But there's an example. I'll give you just one example. One of a surge, a customer using it, visiting a white side GA, had chronic fatigue and gets quite tired halfway through the shopping experience and needs a little bit of a break. Her biggest joy was letting your team know that this happens and needs a little bit of a support around making it a little bit quicker and easier. And your team spontaneously, before this, your customer arrived, found uh, the right chair, seat to offer your customer halfway around the shopping experience so that in aisle four, she took a five minute breather so that she could, and she knew because they met her at the, at the entrance saying, this is what we're going to do. And she was absolutely joyed that they'd gone to that much effort spontaneously to provide that level of empathetic service. Mm. But the thing for the customer is that she then mentally knew that halfway around that she was going to be able to take a pit stop. And to have that confidence to know that there was a, a break coming up. Yeah 
to sit down and go, oh, I'm halfway around. Wow, this is, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then to have that additional support that they knew that the service teams were expecting her at the checkout to make that as seamless as possible and supporting her through and also with the groceries to her car, to her actual to a car, mm-hmm. completely changed her experience from com- being completely overwhelmed to, well, I've got so much confidence visiting here now because the staff care so much and they know exactly what it is for me. And Quiet Hours, as you mentioned, they're fantastic. Thank you for all the other stores for doing that. Sure. However, on demand, knowing exactly how to look after your customer is what we've, as you you and I both know, is actually life-changing. And we're thrilled of the results and some of the testimonials that you mentioned just earlier. Yeah, look, Chris, I am. And I am so proud of my team. And excuse me if I get all teary, I go silly. (laughs) It happens every single time we're talking about this because I know of the incredible life-changing impact that this is having in people's lives. But what makes me so proud is when we trialled this, in our Baringa store and Laurie led that and she's a champion and we worked through some of the tweaks and we introduced some new initiatives and that sort of thing and so we got it right didn't we remember and then we I announced to our team that we were going to roll it out oh gets me every single time now I'm going to ruin my mascara (laughs) and they were just they cheered like it's beautiful (laughs) And they could be a part of something really life-changing for a lot of people in our community. (laughs) So let's just change pace for a minute. (laughs) How did Surge come to life? Where did it start? And how did you come up with that idea? That's a great question. How did Surge start? Ultimately, Victoria and I at the time living in Melbourne, Victoria, my wife, fellow co-founder of Surge, in Melbourne at the Emporium Shopping Centre, thinking about, well, what are we going to do next? We have been trying to build digital businesses for quite some time. Victoria's passion has always been customer service. Victoria was a very early career with the Royal Australian Air Force for seven years. She was a chief flight stewardess, used to fly on the airplanes with the, the Prime Ministers and Prince Charles at the time. Goodness. And from there went and managed yacht bases, marinas across Greece, Maldives, Caribbean, all about customer service. Victoria and I met when we were overseas working on private luxury yachts and those big white yachts in the Mediterranean. Ooh, that all the, one the, that I need to go on. Well, the boat that we met on was the 2004 Boat of the Year at the Monaco Boat Show. So it was at the time arguably the best boat in the world. Absolutely stunning yacht for two people, Mr mm. and Mrs, billionaires from Idaho in the United States. And so that level of service is, I think it's unprecedented, the level of customer service on those boats. The, a ratio of 15 staff to two guests. That'd be a bit crowded, actually. Well, it's a big boat, <laughs> big boat, 206 feet so long. So what were you doing on the uh, boat? I was one of the deckhands or navigational officers and looking after the outside of the vessel. Right. Victoria was inside as chief stewardess looking after internal and service and why I bring that up is that Victoria's passion is customer service. So we're sitting at the Emporium Shopping Centre thinking about, and my background is digital technologies, project management, trying to figure out how to build customer-facing technologies that can scale and grow. And Victoria was voicing her frustration about going to all of the various high-end shops at the Emporium Shopping Centre and having to always repeat herself every time she walks in saying, 
size 10 black dress, this type shoe, matching handbag, even if she's a loyalty member, when you walk in the physical world, you're anonymous. You go online and it's welcome back, Victoria. Here are all the things that you've, we know that you've purchased previously and we're going to recommend similar things for this year's fashion. Got it. And so we also like travel, like staying at nice hotels. So it was always also going to a nice hotel when you pull up in the car there. So, hi, are you staying with us today? Well, in their computer, two metres away, all the de- my booking details that were there for an anniversary, there's a bottle of champagne upstairs, and so we're anonymous. Yeah. So the idea was, can we build an app? We've got a th- Everyone's got pretty much got a $1,000 computer in their pocket. Mm. Can we send a notification through to a store or a hotel or wherever we're going as a customer to let them know that we're coming yep. so that when we arrive, we are greeted like yep. a VIP. Victoria, welcome back. We've got this year's fashions already laid out. Or Victoria, Chris, welcome back to the Sofitel. Your room's waiting with a bottle of champagne on ice. Yes. So we're all treated like a VIP. Yep. That's how That was the original concept. But as when, when COVID hit and we had a small minimum viable product of a piece of technology to start showcasing potential clients, we were told we should speak to Ros White mm-hmm. on the Sunshine Coast. So we found your number and we chased you down until mm-hmm. you were very welcoming and, and invited us into your business. And this was a, at the start of COVID. Yeah. And we showcased, well, to you and a number of others, this is what we're designing and building. And it was a very, very significant meeting that we had mm. and showcasing what we're building. And the, it was very clear to us that for VIPs, busy mums to have a better experience, the advice that we received, and thank you for the advice, is this would be much better if we could use this for our customers mm. with disability. Yeah. And at the time, mm. we have had no idea about disability. So. Yeah. We went on a long journey, which I can come back to, but that's how we then, when we were showcasing our product and we got all the advice from yourself and others Mm. saying, I think it'd be better if you Mm. position it for this community. It'd be better for us from a service team's perspective and potentially much better for those customers versus Mm. luxurious Mm. VIPs already. Mm. So that's how the idea came about. Kudos to you, Chris, and to Victoria for taking on that feedback because you had an innovative idea, which has a lot of merit in itself with the early intention. And Serge, of course, is short for concierge. Isn't That's it? right, exactly. So when you think about providing a VIP experience for customers, which I think in a five-star hotel they should get anyway, but anyway. <laughs> so you're able to announce your arrival at a particular time so that you could have that that full experience and pleasurable experience from the very beginning when you arrive at your gorgeous hotel. And that all makes complete sense to me. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason why you couldn't sort of still provide that service. But when you received the feedback about being able to make Surge, and he's got his own little personality, isn't he? he oh, he's he, definitely got a he, personality. He, he packs a punch. Mm. I think he's quite good looking, actually. <laughs> if I was young and single, you know, no. <laughs> but I remember when you pitched the concept to us in 2020, you and Victoria came in and sitting there and thinking to myself, in the first instance, trying to get my head wrapped around it and ask you a million questions on how that might work. And I think we, we had a, a, a discussion and I went, well, perhaps it might be a great idea if you go and sit down mm-hmm. in our store on a Saturday morning between 9 and 12 and and get an understanding of how many people are walking in and out and how this might work. Because I was kind of like just raising a few questions about mm-hmm. how would we deliver something like that? How impactful or meaningful would it be? And I remember having the discussion with you about 
the potentially allowing search, if you sort of, in what we know now, transforming people's lives in the most impactful, positive, life-changing way, I don't think either of us knew at that time just the deep impact, the potential that search even had then. But what I really wanted to say is that kudos to you and Victoria because you spent obviously clearly spent a lot of time and energy creating this idea and then you getting this feedback that people aren't sort of just jumping and and going straight into it and saying oh yes that's a great idea let's you know but there's a there was a little bit of resistance there and and kudos to you and Victoria because you then went took that on board went back and recreated it and then came back that's right. With what what it is today. And then, for me, it was a no-brainer. Well, it became a no-brainer for us mm. after we took your comments on board. Mm. At the time, I think I mentioned able-bodied, neurotypical, yeah. no lived experience of disability, yeah. and quite frankly, uh, the typical ignorant middle-aged bloke that's never really thought about the world of people living with disability and the impact that we've created our society and how that impacts and creates mm. barriers for them. Yeah. It's not really something that came mm. across a, a thought bubble in my mind. Mm. I was happily just going along my entitled life, I mm. suppose. Mm. And so when you provided that feedback, mm. taking the comments on board and asking, well, why would someone with a disability mm. want to use our technology? Mm. What's the value to them mm. of using our technology? What problems, mm. what barriers, obstacles, challenges do they have in their everyday lives that this technology may be effective? And also from a commercial perspective, mm. you always have to throw that in because we're a business. Is, sure, of course. Well, how many people live with disability? Yeah, is there anything viable commercially if we go down this path? All basic questions that I believe any business owner should be asking, just yeah. due diligence validation of do we pivot from entitled high net wealth individuals to be treated in more like a VIP and pivoting the, the proposition to a, a life-changing, reducing social barriers for individuals with disabilities so they can participate in the community just like everyone else. Mm. Uh, and I just I absolutely gobsmacked and how ignorant I must have been to not know what is now just rolls off the tip of the mm-hmm. tongue, which is one in five people with disability, 4.4 million Australians, yeah. 1.8 billion people globally. People have got research papers saying the value of the disability dollar is the same value as the Chinese GDP based on there's 1.8 billion people. The numbers commercially are certainly substantial enough to say, okay, well, there's clearly a market there which was, I just can't believe that I was unaware of that at the time. But then also probably the more important part is I'd never had, I guess, interviews, customer research with individuals with disability, particularly if they're an individual with a profound disability or a a severe disability, to understand and speak to them one-on-one. It wasn't in my network. And remember at the time we were in COVID. Yeah. And so finding individuals with disability particularly a severe disability, say, well, how would this improve your life to speak with us? And at the time, uh, not knowing if I'd be using the right language, whether or what sort of social etiquettes I'd be tripping up on, and quite frankly, just showcasing how ignorant I had been by asking questions 101 to say, why would you want to use this technology? Mm. But then to go through all those processes and understand, well, we can go from a nice to have yeah. to a changing someone's life proposition Mm. 
wow, that's that's amazing. I wasn't expecting that from a simple little mm-hmm. digital concierge app. Yeah. But then also to realise that it's actually a scalable global problem with 1.8 billion people where quick Google search, we found this statistic, sorry, on the Australian Bureau of Statistics website, a statement which is the greatest source of discrimination for people with disability is from service and hospitality staff. I was like, well, that doesn't sound right. It's a level of discrimination about 76% higher than if that same person was an employee with disability. Lots of fantastic work around improving employment for people with disability. Continue that, champion of that, obviously. But I don't hear the same sort of social commentary about transforming how we treat or reduce the the discrimination or the inadvertent discrimination when someone's a customer. Mm. So going, okay, well, that's obviously a global problem. And as a digital startup, that's what you want to be doing is developing something that can go across Australia internationally Mm. eventually. Mm. So it then became an absolute no-brainer that we could be a social impact enterprise, improve lives and actually build a legitimate business that is here for the long term because Mm. it's solving a global problem. So, Mm. And now I just can't contemplate doing anything but what we're Mm. doing because it's, well, the terms that you'd use, my cup is full. Yeah. Chris, it's just been inspiring to see you on the journey and growing as well and you flourish in, in this space and just hearing you now Considering the fact that, you know, in your own, by self-admission, saying that you were, there was a level of ignorance there for you about people that identify with disability, to now providing them with a wonderful, to empower them and provide dignity in a discreet manner, but individual, individual, I suppose, well, choice, and at at a time that's convenient and suits them. Mm-hmm. that they can enact, and it doesn't cost them a cent. No. Just subscribe to, if you have a phone or a personal device and you subscribe to Surge, then you communicate with a store that participates or a venue or and, a, yep. an, a, and a facility of some sort. And you've also got this in swimming pools and mm-hmm. or aqua, 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 aquatic centres. Aquatic yes. And there's some, you have rolled out right around Australia, haven't you? So from what started in 2020, came to White's IGA in the new, infor- the reinvented format. I think mm-hmm. we first rolled it out in 21, was it? Yes. So the first White's IGA was Beringer in, I believe it was February in 2021. 2021. Is that right? I believe so. Yes. And then, then we did a three-month trial and then we rolled it out across our stores, but we did it in a, in a very staggered way to make sure because there was a lot of steps that we had to do. There was, as a participant, mm-hmm. this amazing idea, the Surge app, and you're busily promoting it. But as a, as a participant, as a business, we need to make sure also that our house was in order, that our team were on board, that they were trained and they understood. That's one of the most important parts of this working is to ensure that the only way a user can have a great experiences if the venue or the facility or the outlet is prepared and understanding. And so the best way to do that then is to develop good training programs, Mm -hmm. good communication within internally with a positive culture to make sure that it can be delivered. So, and that was something that we've developed over time too, where we've introduced disability training into our program Mm -hmm. to make sure that staff are prepared and they understand that, and you have created tutorials and we've worked together to make sure that, that everyone 
everyone is aware. And as you like, information is power. We were talking before when you're walking around in a level of ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. But when you explore and you uncover and you realise, it's incredible how you can, what that can create and the ripple impact of that, which is why I just admire you and Victoria so much that you that you've been able to go on that journey and open your mind and adapt and identify what the need was and then respond with a solution, which is surge. So it's a point to point. The importance of making surge work effectively is that point to point understanding, isn't it? Absolutely. So the, I absolutely second your comments around mm. the culture within your organisation and making sure that everyone's aware of you know, setting a culture of we care about all of our customers, mm. which is clearly evident across all of your stores, mm. White's IGA. But then the actual specific training that you've introduced yeah. around disability awareness training yeah. and it, it just takes the ability and the confidence so that when that notification does mm. come through to the point of sale yeah. and you are reading that customer's profile, yes. that there's that extra sort of foundation of confidence and comfort that you know what to do. Yes. So it takes receiving the notification and reading the profile it's pretty straightforward. It takes 15, 20 seconds is, is yeah. my, we try and tr- keep it nice and brief. So everyone's under time pressures. But if you're coming from a perspective of having an awareness, a culture of empathy, mm. absolutely gives you that confidence to know that you're doing mm. the right thing yeah. and treat everyone inclusively. So it, it's it's been a great journey mm. getting to where we are at today Mm. and looking forward to making it simpler, more effective, Mm. intuitive for for everyone as we continually innovate, not just the training, but our Mm. product, all aspects of what we do, Mm. just so it's just easier and easier and easier. Yeah, look, and I think it's society, as a society, I think the ideal world is to have for people to have a fair and equitable experience wherever they go. Exactly. But the true reality is that for whatever reason, whether it, there it is a certain level of ignorance, there are barriers that continue to exist. And Surge allows some of those barriers to be dismantled so that people can feel fairly treated equitable and as they should. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so therefore, as Surge moves around the country and around the globe, it'll continue to enhance and transform people's lives. And that's something you must be so very proud of that you have created something that is just getting started and there's so much potential for this beautiful little man, Sergi, <laughs> to go and weave his magic and change and transform people's lives around the globe. Well, the point that you make in there is a very, very valid one around it's a shame that we don't live in that equitable world today mm-hmm. where there are these social barriers to community participation and independence because of how others treat each other. So in an absolute ideal world, the scary reality is that surge should not need to exist. Yes. Because we all treat each other inclusively, we're all empathetic and we've all got patience with each other. That's the world that we would like to be living in. Yes. Unfortunately, that is not the reality for all people all the times. There are certainly aspects of our world improving, getting more inclusive, we see it every day because we're obviously that's that's the world that we live in, making sure that we're progressing that way. But Serge is feeling that, I guess, stepping stone yeah. to try and get that reality. And what we've found is most interesting now that we're starting to say we've been around for a little bit and we're getting some traction, we're starting to say we know what we, we're doing, is watching how someone's got the confidence to use Serge at one of our venues, like at a White's IGA, and they'll use once or twice 
and they'll get the amazing warm service from your team. And then they'll go down to Whiteside GA the following week, but they won't need to use Surge because they've established the relationship. And that's what all it's all about is Surge is an icebreaker and relationship maker. Yeah. So that, that staff, the staff member knows you by name up as, mm. so that when I arrive in the venue, mm. if I was a VIP, and this is where the original idea sort of came from, mm. if you were, I love surfing, so let's use a surfing celebrity. Let's say I was Kelly Slater walking into the local Rip Curl store. Everyone would know that I'm Kelly Slater. Yep. And they go, Kelly's here and know me by name and absolutely give me the VIP treatment mm. because you've recognised me on site and you know something about me and so that I can give you a much higher level of customer service because you're a VIP. So the idea was making everyone feel like a VIP, which is giving the essential information. So I've never gone to a store before. I've sent my profile image and something about me so that when I walk in, you go, Chris, great to see you. And all of my friends, like let's say I was going to a pub and the bartender said, Chris, great to see you. And I've never been there before. All of my mates would be saying, how is it that every time you go somewhere, everyone knows you? You are like, you're the VIP rock star. And it's trying to create that same thing for every experience. And so that once you've developed that relationship, and I'm going to say Pridgian Beach, IG, White's IGA, if I've used Surge a couple of times, mm. the relationship's been made. Yeah. And so the next time I go, mm. when I arrive they know me, I know them. So it means that theoretically, Serge has worked himself out of a job. Yeah. Because he's done his job. Yep. And that's the beauty of when Serge is working his best mm. is when he's not present. Mm. And the crazy thing about that is so that Serge is changing lives most effectively when he's not required anymore. Required. Because if, if I've sent you the notification, mm-hmm. I'll put my phone back in my purse or my mm-hmm. pocket, your customer service staff member have received it to their phone, tablet point of sale, wherever we've set it up for your for your store. But the moment where the magic happens is where two people, the customer and the service staff mem- mm. member, are speaking and interacting in the real world mm. where neither of them have their technology mm. on or open. Yep, you've removed a barrier. Yeah. And it's no longer required and then it's just a beautiful relationship. And, that, and so... Person-to-person then- person interaction. They know, they're welcome. Correct. They're welcomed. Yeah, so he's he hooks people up, doesn't he, hey? <laughs> little dating service. Oh, goodness, only knows what he'd get up to. Take us back. Let's understand more about Chris Keresk, the creator and oh dear. founder of this incredible little surge program. Not little. He's, he's it's, it, it's immense. But before you were going and swanning around on those fabulous yachts in through Europe... And you met the love of your life, gorgeous Victoria. Mm -hmm. She's a beautiful, beautiful lady. She is, absolutely. Yeah. Where did you pop up in life? Where where were you born? Where how did you come into this world, Chris? Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about the backstory of Chris before you got to this part in your life of where we are now. I had a really good childhood. Born in Townsville, grew up in Outback Charters Towers on a $5,000, acre. Jeez, land was cheap in those days. <laughs> a 5,000 acre property, and that was a small one for that part of the world. Yes, um, I know. My family had a property up there. What, where, west, north, or uh, south? Britain south to southwest of Charters Towers by about 35 minutes, a little called Cherry Creek. And what was it, grazing? or We had Brahmin cattle uh, and also drought masters. Yep, beautiful. Uh, Know them well. My my daddy used to breed those. There we uh, go. Those brands, breeds. So as a as a kid growing up, you had motorbikes, you had cars, tractors. Yep. We even had a bulldozer at one point in time. Yep. And 
when the dams were dry, they were just the best velodromes and jumps for the motorbikes. Of course, and even I did that as a 12, 15-year-old with no helmet, yep, probably absolutely. no shoes. No. Oh, no, I had, but, I had the boots. Oh, you had. You were fancy. I probably had thongs. No and me. Got lots of photos with me on the bike with these big motorbike boots, mm. board shorts and a T-shirt, nothing else. <laughs> Something that was obviously the, I thought the boots looked good, yeah. uh, but the helmet didn't look good. Oh, gosh. Uh, good so, old days, flowing up and down the dam banks and yeah, it was brilliant. up and down gravel roads. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, if my son did that now. Oh, but not a chance. What, what is it? Country kids, you just, I, I shudder to think. What could have happened if I'd come off one of those motorbikes when I and I'd I'd be riding bikes like that when I was they're way too big to for me. <laughs> My brother's motorbikes, they were racing bikes. Yep. I couldn't touch the ground, so you'd be going from side to side until you get up and yep. take off. That's right. And then you'd be going flat out up a gravel road. Absolutely. Abs like and completely out of sight of the 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 house so that mum and dad couldn't see you. Mm. You know, you'd go as fast as you could to get out of sight. And there's one memory that was just. There's no way that I'd allow my children to do this, though, whatever age I was, but too young to drive. But I was in behind an FJ45, no power steering, had to res- absolutely wrestle the steering wheel just to do anything with it. And I remember going around a corner and almost losing it, going sort of sideways in the old FJ45 right in front of the farmhouse as the old man sitting on the veranda having a beer. And his, his penalty was, you're not allowed to go past second gear now. Oh. Ooh. So... It's, it was pretty Kibosh. mild, pretty mild sort of penalty that, you know. Still, can't go past second gear. Yeah, well, I, I was pretty little, like maybe 10 or 11 at the time, just so I could barely Just I'd, had to, you'd look, like, you'd grandpa, like the, driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> until you got over the ridge from the farmhouse, yeah, then you'd be yeah, in third and fourth and yeah, you'd be away. Pedal but, to the metal. Yeah, but, yeah, but <laughs> now like, I can't believe that I was allowed to do that, but yeah. that, that was that was the childhood. Yeah. That sounds like a brilliant childhood, one I absolutely resonate with deeply. So grew up in Chatters Towers, mum and dad, family, like brothers and sisters, and yeah, so two older brothers, and both we're all eighteen months apart. So I'm not sure how mum put up with us three boys <laughs> on the farm. Our fa- family then split up when we were, when I was in grade ten, but at the time, so that. The old man was the GP, a doctor. He had some very successful medical centres in Townsville, Cairns and Charters Towers. Mum was a teacher. And uh, yeah, but at the age of grade 10, the family dynamic all went south. And yeah. uh, and mum and I, that by that stage, my two older brothers had moved out. One, one brother was working on trawlers in the Gulf and the other one was at University of Queensland. So we moved down to Brisbane where close to my granddad who lived in Mooloolabar and uh, tried to pick up the pieces and, and, mm. and move forward. Yeah. Mm. So did you, you've, how did you get into technology? You know, you were sort of obviously travelling the world. Was it an interest? Did you study technology at university or was it something that's just developed? And how, how, how did you sort of get into this space? I, the reason why I love business is by watching what my old man did in his successful businesses that then also unfortunately went south and trying to be very different to that. Mm. And so most of what I, my personality, my business ethics is all a direct reflection of observing and watching my father's business go up, go down, go sideways, go right up and then go very downwards and trying to always wanted to be a very successful business person for the reason of loving the concept of being able to develop a product Mm. that customers love and deliver real value and builds something that's ethically sustained. So, so it's ethical, so it's good for people or planet. 
disruptive so that it's got the potential to actually continually grow and be a big thing like and then also sustainable from a commercial sense so that something that's got a genuine profitable commercial model that can continue to grow for the long term and it's not something that you're just going to take investors money and then take mm. some money off the table and dump it and walk away and, and leave everyone else scarred so my childhood and watching that develop those three I guess philosophical pillars of how I approach business. And so I followed my old man's footsteps. I went to university. I was wanted to be a doctor. I was studying all the medical subjects, dropped out of that, went and studied sharks on Heron Island for a while, <laughs> went and didn't want to do that. So I then became a concreter for a while. That was just to earn a couple of bucks as a young 21-year-old because I had no money. And concreters were getting paid more than research assistants. So I found that surprising mm -hmm. that one day earning with no experience as a labourer, getting more than four years experience of university education going, that was that was a surprise. And then going, okay, what does a young fella do when he's got no idea where to go in life and what to do? So he jumps on a plane, flies overseas and goes and works on yachts in the Mediterranean to just go, this is cool. And a few years later, meet my wife, Victoria, in Holland in a shipyard a little town in Al called Alblasserdam. And it's always been to go, okay, well, how do I go on this journey of learning about business to not make those same mistakes that I witnessed as a child? Mm. And I was always envious of builders. Because? I was always envious because you could do a trade, get paid as a, a junior builder, earn some good money, and then by default you – can very easily move into running your own business and then recruiting a, a, an apprentice or a, an offsider and then just creating a business. And all of the, my mates from university going into professional careers, being locked into that as a career for the rest of their life, but branching out and creating a business always seemed much harder than mm. being a builder. Because you've got that product that you're building on building a house and I mm. build one house and I build another one, I build another one, I get more confidence so I can then recruit people and build multiple houses simultaneously. So I took that as a bit of, I guess, envy that I went down this tertiary education path and had a lot of envy for builders and carpenters and plumbers and all the tradies in the world and thought, well, how do I have that same sort of skill set? Mm. And so elected to do digital project management inside large enterprise. So working mm. for News Corp, National Australia Bank or Visa, working, building technology as the project lead or the business person, not actually coding. I can't code a th single thing in my life, don't want to, but I know how to like a builder, as with architects, liaise with designers, liaise with clients, project manage it, make sure I've got the right, the right fit outs, the right budgets, the right legals, making sure that I knew how to build digital technology competently enough so when I was willing to go and put my own money into it, I had half an idea how to build something digitally. Mm. Well, it's amazing the comparison that you can make there. And so you're living your dream. <laughs> you're real, you, you're real, but you're not building houses, but you're building... You're building people, which is way more impactful. You're creating social change in the world. That's got to feel good. We didn't necessarily, we didn't deliberately start out on this path. We're, one of the things that we took on board after speaking to you and we went and spoke to a number of people with disability, why would they want to use Surge, the app, for enhanced customer service? Speaking to a, now a very good friend, Dane, and he was explaining to me, using a wheelchair, his grocery shopping experience. Mm. And it had never dawned on me at 44 years of age at the time, if you're in a wheelchair, how do you access something on the high shelf? Mm. I'd never walked down an aisle or my, at any stage and gone, how does a person in a wheelchair reach that hot, that oil on the top shelf? Yeah, Never thought about it. 
And so I asked the question, so what do you do? And the answer is, well, I sit there and wait until an able-bodied person comes along, whether that's another customer or a service staff member. Obviously, most people are going to help. Say, yeah, sure, I'll reach the oil for you and Mm. hand it down. But I said, well, how long does it take to do a shop? He said, well, if I'm just going to do a couple of items, grocery items, it might take me an hour (laughs) because I go from aisle to aisle to aisle and sit there and wait. And obviously, as Roz, Mm. that oil probably sits on that same position on that shelf for, I don't know, until it's moved. You do a stock reorder, it might sit at that same location as where the oil lives for years. Mm. Mm. So as a a customer, those exact items Mm. that are are out of reach Mm. and you can have your own shopping list and know, okay, well, I can get these, I can get 60, 70%, but this 30% of them, I I know where they are Mm. and I can't get it. Mm. So- to be able to send that information through saying, to your team saying, here are the three or four items that are out of my reach. I'm, I'm okay with the, the Doritos packet because that's that's a good height for me, was absolute revelation. You go, well, wow, you, you would then go back to that store all the time and it's as simple as someone's going to reach it down instead of waiting in every aisle. Yeah. Someone, someone can have it pre-picked. Or you can just ask for that mm. assistance. So instead of being an hour for the shop, mm. it's 15 minutes. Well, I think the other thing to note here is that physical impairment doesn't have to have visibility. Mm-hmm. So people can be sort of appear as though they're able-bodied, but they have an impairment that's unidentified. And so what Surge does is it empowers that person to be able to communicate their need discreetly so the team can then be have that raise the awareness and to provide that assistance. It's not always – disability is not always visible. Is oh, it? absolutely not, no. And uh, so you, a staff member may not necessarily always be able to sort of identify that somebody potentially has a need. But other people – people – the thing that I think that people and humanity, we value our, is our independence – and so for people to be able to shop independently and be able to do it in a way that's discreet with a direct, the, the, being able to share their immediate and, and direct need according to what they want to share, mm-hmm. it just puts all that on the individual, doesn't it? The, the allows them to be able to communicate what they want to at a time when they want to and provide that real independence, which is control. Incredible. Flexibility, yeah. choice, yeah. all the things that all of us want in life. Yeah. Just to be a regular individual. Mm. That's all that's all yeah. all yeah. of us are pretty much after. But but back to your question that, that yeah, so that to turn that around from all of a sudden having a business which is a social impact, then yeah, absolutely surprised and mm. elated that that's where yeah. our business journey's got to. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Chris, it's been a fabulous discussion and thank you. Just what is Chris Kerisk? What's your mantra? What's your thing in life that you live by or a quote that you feel empowered by that you, you live each day? Never give up, never give in. Where does that come from? Oh, I don't think I've reflected on where it's come from. Is that your quote or one? Oh, no, it's definitely something that appears often in many places. But the, I guess the thing that why it resonates for me I was once a good swimmer as a kid mm. and I believe that I was allowed to give up too early yeah. when it started getting a little bit hard. When I went from Charters Towers being the swimmer of my age group in the town, going to the regional at, at Townsville and coming second or third or whatever it was, and I was like, oh, I lost. I better better give throw, this in, throw the towel in. Mm. Whereas what I should have done is go back, train harder, 
focus, put the goals on the board and just keep working at it. That everything in life has, you've got to work at, you've got to keep trying and things will be tough. Things will be great. Things will be tough. Things will be great over and over and over again. And so long as you just never give up and never give in, then you're going to get there. Well, that's a powerful childhood lesson. That's really your, I'm sure you draw on to this day and Mm -hmm. it inspires you to do what you're doing now, which is very powerful. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for coming in. Absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on, Roz. It's a pleasure. A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA.